Hey everybody, welcome to this week's Bald Movie. Uh, we are going over a, a strangely topical film uh, for a movie that came out almost a decade ago. 2011's Contagion, directed by Steven Soderbergh, written by Scott Z. Burns. You're probably familiar with a lot of Steven Soderbergh's work. Sex, Lies, and Videotape, Out of Sight, Aaron Brockovich, Traffic, Ocean's Eleven, Magic Mike, High Flying Bird, the 2019 uh, basketball yeah. film. Shot entirely Shot on, on an, an iPhone, iPhone. yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. Scott Z. Burns I wasn't as familiar with, but I knew his works, Born Identity, The Informant, um, which is a collaboration between uh, Matt or Matt Damon himself and Steven Soderbergh. The Report, which is um, a movie I want to see last year about the, the, the torture report that came out after 9-11. And he's uh, also writing No Time to Die, the upcoming Bond film. So that's pretty cool. And his movie stars... So many people. You got Marion Cotillard, uh, Matt Damon, Larry Fish, Lawrence Fishburne, Judy Law, Gwynny P, Gwynny Paltrow, <laughs> Katie Winslet. <laughs> uh, I can't do Brian. Brainy is Brainy, Brainy Cranston, and Jennifer Ellie. Uh, I. What did you think of this film? Uh, just as a, as a I, you, you, I think before, unlike me, had seen this movie um before yeah. all this shit come out what did what did you think of it then what do you think of it now i'm interested in that uh i liked it both times around i think this time i was watching with a uh, a little extra spice mm-hmm. uh given the circumstances but yeah i mean it's it's a really well crafted film um and the thing that hooked me the first time around was sort of the the real in-depth look at you know how this thing spreads how you can get your kind of arms around it and and sort of contain this thing or deal with this thing. Uh, and it's something that not a lot of other movies have done in this detail. Yeah. Um, and so when I saw it, I was just sort of blown away by what what seemed to be like the most, cl- the, the closest examination of something like this that I've ever seen. And it felt very plausibly real and the amazing thing is how it feels very real in the context of uh the first worldwide pandemic that i've i've lived through um like the broad now and and we're going to this is going to be an interesting kind of review because of one half of it's going to be just about the movie itself and then we're going to talk about um the differences between the fictional virus mev1 and the very real uh coronavirus the covid19 uh virus because I think there's there's two reactions when people see this film is like, uh, you know, that's bad. And also like, oh, my God, what if this is the apocalypse? Because COVID-19 is not as bad as this fictional MEV one. Yeah, like, not even close. Yeah, I mean, this 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 fictional virus is like a combination Ebola plus influenza. And so far, knock on wood, we haven't seen a bug like that. But we'll we'll talk about that. I thought maybe um, I just for a, a person that had never seen it before. Um, I got this confused with Outbreak, and I was expecting yeah, a lot. I've seen that. Too. I was expecting a lot more monkeys biting and and Dustin Hoffman, no. but this is a much better film. Outbreak is is pretty silly. This is actually a really really good film, and I I, I learned in researching that Scott Z. Burns spent a lot of time researching uh, with medical ep- experts, uh, such as Ian Lipkin, uh, who served as primary like medical advisor in this film and is currently suffering from the coronavirus. Uh, what a uh, what an ironic irony. life that guy must be leading right now um, jesus well i hope he recovers yeah me too and you know like just from a just from an art review aspect like any movie that has gwyneth paltrow in it and she dies 10 minutes into the film 10 out of 10 
10 out of 10. <laughs> it's a perfect film. It just gets better from there. Um, uh, the soundtrack is also really amazing in this. Like the score. They they There's something about the score that isn't like doomsday. It's not droning kind of like doom at right. all times. But it's also, it, it conveys a certain sense of urgency. But like a... A hopeful urgency. I I, I, got I don't know how to describe it. It's it's just like it's like this synthetic sort of. Here's the two words I was going to describe it: meticulous and precise. Which yeah. I feel like underscored the action because most of the action is filmed such as it is is researchers and virologists just desperately trying to keep one step ahead of this thing. Yeah. And their work has to be that way. Like, they have to, like, uh, we'll talk about this in a bit, but, like, you know, wearing those, you know, BSL level four outfits has got to be just hell and working yeah. those. And I've read a firsthand, uh, I, I, there's there's been a lot of, like, threads where people have shared their experience working with other viruses during this pandemic. And one guy who was on the front lines of the uh uh Ebola outbreak the last time said, you know, on touching his face, it's like, you've never been aware of how often you touch your face than when you're working in a hemorrhagic fever lab with just a mask and no goggles and you're fighting a two hour eye itch that oh, you can't, okay. you know, you can't stop what you're doing to, to do it. And it's, it's, I thought that was really interesting. And that you're talking about being in the full hazmat suit and just like reaching up and bumping the, oh, the I mean, visor. That's, yeah, <laughs> that's like where you just can't even do it. Um, yeah. But I, all these considerations that came up, um, in this film, the economy, shutting down the schools, what are you going to do with kids? Like, these are things that we see people debating in real time right now. And I thought that was fascinating. I, I will say, I think the the one portion of the uh, devastation that this movie is lacking severely in is the economy, given what we've seen so far. Um, yeah. With the COVID stuff. It, it is just a very surface level sort of economic uh, angle on this. Like, they mention it, I think, but it's never really dealt with. Like, you see a line where people are being handed out uh, MREs and right. stuff like that, but they don't go into depth on that. They stay much more focused on, like, the containment and uh, and uh, putting the kibosh on this virus. I mean, you do see, like, there's there's hoarding and runs on things, which, if anything, I think this movie yeah. undersold um, yeah. based on what we've seen with Corona. But And you see, like, looting, and you see... Uh, people like um, trying to steal supplies and whatnot. So it's like you get the idea that things are pretty desperate. I mean, anytime that the military is fill feeding civilian populations with, you know, mm -hmm. these meals ready to eat, it's it's got to be hell. But you're right. They don't do they. There's nothing about the stock market. There's nothing about how people are, you know, affording their their rent and their houses no. and et cetera. None of that stuff. Um, I think one of the things that works like. And Soderbergh is so good at using light and sound to just convey this whole film conveys a feeling of sickliness and unhealth, like mm -hmm. those green washes, the blue washes. There's always coughing in the background, um, you know, as 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 you see people shaking hands and then returning to, you know, like it all starts in this 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 city in, in Asia. And then you see them flying back and you go to London and there's a population of like 16 million. I'm just going to make up numbers in New York and. Minneapolis and all these places where you just see like this is where a virus is going to, you know, have all these hosts to spread through. Because I think mm -hmm. that's one thing that people get wrong is like people act like the virus spreads. The virus doesn't spread shit. The virus doesn't yeah. have wings. It doesn't have legs. Humans are what spread the virus. 
Um, the virus can make things easier or harder to spread, but like we are the ones that spread it. And I feel like this movie in the first 10 minutes did just such a great job of showing how quickly this can get out of hand and kind of how somewhat silly the pointing at fingers about which country this started in ultimately is like did right. did did china handle everything correctly should no did should they should should they tried suppressing this information for a month no but you know worldwide everyone knew what was going on by the time end of january is and yet much of the world did nothing most of the world mm-hmm. did nothing so it's like you know it's it's i i thought that was really great um yeah they, they use a lot of um close-ups in this movie yeah. of different items like uh you know people touching railings or like uh glasses uh, th- things like that that really convey like it, it, they don't they don't do like an overlay right where you can see oh here's like a bunch of red splotches right. or something but you feel you it just you still yeah you understand they got uh, they got them fomites I learned what fomites are. I'm surprised I haven't heard more in the news about fomites. Yeah, either. especially with this being in like because uh, this uh, contagion's getting another life. Obviously, in the last couple weeks of, of everyone renting it, that's how I kind of thought of doing this. Is the first night of our real lockdown where the oh. governor said, "Hey, we're shutting everything down." I'm like, "Fuck it, I'm just going to watch this thing, see what happens." And uh, yeah, I'm surprised there's not more people talking about fomites. Because that's the yeah. real danger here with COVID nineteen. It seems like you know, person to person, obviously, and and uh, touching things other people have touched. The other thing, besides the uh, cinematography that they do to convey this this sense of sickliness and unhealth and desperation, is how just utterly unsentimental it is about its characters. Mm-hmm. Like Gwyneth Paltrow dies, foaming at the mouth, and then later you see her head being split open. The, the the thing that happens with Kate, Kate Winslet's arc, you know, that like this is a main character, that you can, but like how unceremoniously her plot line ends there. I, I read some analysis about how this is um, a modern trend in filmmaking they call hyperlinked cinema. Did you see any of that discussion? No, I don't know what that is. Where you assemble a narrative out of like a half dozen desperate, disparate plot lines. Like, you've got the okay. Matt Damon stuff, you've got the Dr. Cheever stuff, you've got the Mirror stuff, you've got the Marion Cotillard stuff, which is, I think, bizarre. But yeah, it's like World War Z, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, you just have all this threaded kind of thing that you're kind of, like, the narrative emerges from all these individual stories that you're telling. And they all start and end at different times. They're not, like, they don't have a definitive, like, conclusion um, and I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, Soderbergh also used that in like the movie Traffic, um, this this hyperlink okay. cinema type thing. But I think that does a real, you know, that that feels like you know a, a real kind of plague situation that you know the heroes don't necessarily all live and the villains don't necessarily get punished. Um, yeah, I, most movies like uh, speaking of the Kate Winslet storyline here, most movies would have her be in that like three quarters of people who recover right uh from this thing this movie doesn't this movie just and i think they wanted to convey like what a danger this thing is to the healthcare workers who are actively fighting it and we've seen that like worldwide we've there's been numerous documented cases of doctors and nurses succumbing to this thing already and some of it like i saw saw this kid in uh, pakistan who's 27 graduated from med school like two years ago and you know died uh, already from some from COVID, so it's not necessarily just the sick and and the old that this disease is taking. Uh, I want to say that like from here on out, we're gonna do tons and tons and tons of spoilers. Uh, mm-hmm. If you haven't seen this film, I think it's a great film to watch. With the caveat of 
this is much, much worse than coronavirus. And I hope if yeah. you watch it, you then come back and listen to the second half of our podcast where we'll talk about the important differences and similarities between the disease. Because it's it's I also don't want people to walk away and be like, oh, well, it's not as bad as MEV1, so we don't have to worry about it. Because um, I think both of those lessons, like this is hopeless, we're all going to die, versus this is not a big deal, it's it's okay. Both of those are are ignorant opinions let's say i want to talk about specifics in this movie and i want to start with like matt damon um he was deliberately cast as as his utility in this kind of every man type of role um he's a husband that loses his wife and then his stepson within a, a single day um, he's stuck in the situation where he can't bury them mm -hmm. or have a funeral because the quarantine is on which is something that we're seeing reflected in like, you know, Italy, especially. Um, I just thought that he was really good. Like when the nurse and doctor try to tell him that his wife is dead, he just yeah. not registering. Like how, like, how can that be? Yeah. Um, uh, like I was, I was with her two hours ago. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And yeah, she was sick, but she wasn't dead. Yeah. And that, uh, and then losing his son, like, and then, uh, being reunited with his daughter was another outstanding scene. I thought, mm -hmm. um, you know, through the glass, not not actually reunited. Yeah, I also thought that his daughter was a pretty good portrayal of a fairly smart with it teenager. Like this is like she sees how serious this is. It's a very big bummer, but also she's a teenager and she wants to kiss her boyfriend. And Matt Damon has to break that up at the point of a shotgun. Yeah, um, they do an excellent job with Matt Damon. Speaking of him being sort of an everyman mm -hmm. stand in here of not giving us any idea of who he is really or what he does like we don't we see that he's a pretty he's taking this very seriously yeah. um and he seems to be a very meticulous person but like we don't know if he's an accountant or a programmer yeah. or if he's a rock star like yeah we don't fucking know and i think that goes a long way toward you being able to put yourself in his shoes. Yeah. I mean, it seems like he's kind of comfortably middle class, but other than that, yeah. you're right. We don't, we don't know. Um, and I thought, I, th I thought that was really good. I love the relationship between him and his daughter and the scene, like, you know, and him trying to recreate her prom or give her a prom. So this is, yeah, I, I thought that was kind of neat. And it's something that I've been thinking about. I think this, this coronavirus stuff is, got different levels of realization. Like I know the first time I realized that, Oh God, this isn't actually going to be one of those media hype deals is when they like canceled the yeah. NBA. That was the day that I'm like, shit, this is actually going to be a real fucking deal. Um, but I'm watching young people now, especially kind of realize like, Oh God, I might not have a graduation ceremony. I might not even graduate. I might have to, uh, am I going to have to, and, and like college kids, like there's, you know, various rites of passage that you can do as a young person. And they only kind of come around once. There's going to be a whole generation of kids that are deprived of those experiences. And people mm -hmm. are starting to realize that and really mourn that, which I think, you know, is a very human thing. And something that oh, this, yeah. this show, this, this movie had time to kind of honor. Um, I think that as far as plot that they did a really good job of showing that how much of this epidemiologist's job is uh, detective work like it's yeah. vital to track down where the initial infection came from 
how it was spread. Was it spread by, you know, aerosol? Was it spread by cough droplets? Was it person-to-person contact? Was it person-to-object contact? Because all those things, like, they're, they're, what they're trying to do is figure out, um, you know, where it came from so they can analyze the virus and, and grow more of it so they can study and find a vaccine. But they're also trying to figure out what the R0 value is, mm-hmm. uh, which we'll talk about in detail here in a bit. Um, but just like, you know, how it's just, it reminded me a lot of like, uh, a crime film and that you've got these like experts and like law enforcement and they're going through, uh, closed caption footage and going through credit card receipts, just trying to figure out where all these people have been and who they've been in contact with. Yeah, that's really good. Um, I like some of the more detailed explanation about how viruses are examined as well. Like when in that scene, when, uh, shit, who is it? that's explaining. Is it Kate Winslet explaining to, to someone like walking them through the 3d model of the virus and how it attaches to human cells? I thought that was Jennifer Ellie, but was it? Okay. I I can't quite remember, but I I was so fixated on like their model there. It was, it was really neat because like, I don't really know how that stuff works. Um, it's not super important when you're uh, a layperson, sort of dealing with this, but it was a nice insight. Yeah, it's cool because like I, I, I'm with you. I don't understand fully how it works, but I know that like viruses have various attachment points that are like mm-hmm. shaped like Legos. If we're going to use an example, and like we have receptors in their human body, and sometimes those, you know, we have, you know, that's that's the reason like a virus that is affects cows might not necessarily affect a human because it doesn't have the right protein attachments to actually start, you know, making more of itself. Um, And when those things change, uh, you get a novel virus that humans don't have any natural antibodies to. Those, those are like uh, parts of our, our Lego kit and our um, uh, immune system doesn't have any kind of way to interface with it. Um, And that's kind of the problem with this MEV one. And also the coronavirus is that it's a completely new strain that we don't have any natural defenses against. We don't have any vaccines uh, for, um, and that that makes it really tricky. Uh, and they communicated that really well. I thought mm-hmm. just the mismatch in mindset between like Kate Winslet's character Mears and everyone that she meets. Like she knows how serious yeah. this is from day one, and she is wrangling. With, like she's got she's setting up emergency hospitals, and she's got city council people coming and be like, "Hey, is this coming out of your budget or ours?" Right. Definitely, we're seeing the early stages of the, that haggling in our government, and yeah. you know, the, it's, it's it's her character is very ironic because she pays for her diligence with her life, um, and the irony of her like suffering in this field hospital that she herself set up. She's going to die here alone, uh, you know, surrounded by other dying people in a sterile giant warehouse stadium buried facility. in a mass grave, and then and then yeah, like that's that's how unsentimental it was. Like the next. The next time we see her, she's getting a plastic bagged up because they've run out of body bags, duct taped around the neck and thrown into a pit. Mm-hmm. Like, it's fucking wild. Um, it is weird, though, that, like, the CDC specialist is this open mouth coughing everywhere, like, when she's <laughs> dealing with another guy, like, you know. Uh-huh. Same thing when uh, the one uh, Jennifer Ellie, the doctor who injects herself with the vaccine, goes to visit her dad. Her dad's like, you shouldn't be here. <coughs> it's it's not safe. <coughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, I hear what you're saying. But I see what you're doing, doctor. And and uh, there's a there's a mismatch there. Um, mm. That's another good example, I guess, of hyperlinked storytelling is did we ever meet her dad at all? 
just that one scene or was like yeah like you we didn't need to we understand and she provided the like well the only reason you're here is because you're a brave selfless doctor etc etc they also try and deal with the the panic aspect of this a little bit mm. um and that's around like larry fish telling his wife that like something bad is happening here we need to get out of the city um and come to atlanta and she tells of course a friend she can't help but tell a friend um, and that sort of spreads, right? And this panic starts. When I watched this film about two weeks ago, I got to this part where Lawrence Fishburne is telling his girlfriend, I think, not wife, girlfriend. Is it? Okay. I wasn't sure um, that you need to get out. Like, they're about to shut down Illinois and Chicago. You need to get out of here and, and get to Atlanta as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what are the ethics and morality of that? Because... I, I guess it's one of those things where like I think it's wrong because of what could have happened and what did happen. Her tell a friend who's told a friend, and now you've got wide-scale panic and people fleeing the city when you're trying to contain it. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, like, it's a very human impulse. Like, you're trying to yeah. save the person, you know, like, it's a tragedy that 20 million people die, but it's a whole different level of tragedy when it's your wife or it's your son or your mother or father, right? So I was thinking, like, okay... I guess using inside information, if you are literally at the forefront of fighting it, like it's understandable, but it's still it's still transgressive. Yes. And then I read about these fuckers who literally were doing inside trading. Uh, The CEO of the New York Stock Exchange, Jeff Sprecher, his wife, Senator Kelly Loeffler, um, rich Senator Richard Burr get out of this classified briefing on how bad this thing is going to be make phone calls to sell other stock. Meanwhile, they're say, telling to the public, this is no big deal. We're going to get through this. It's not going to cause any disruption. Apparently, this isn't illegal. But, like, if I had a more... How is that possible? Man, it's one of those things where, like, you should be able to... I don't know. I don't know. Because one of the bed... Can we get a retroactive law in here? One of the <laughs> like... bedrocks of our justice system is, no, you can't do that. But, holy shit, I can't believe you can't find some kind of statute to... to... Yeah bring them up on because like you can imagine if i had uh you can imagine if i had an ethical problem with Lawrence fishburne's actions like how fucking pissed off i was to find out also like guys who were trying to uh price gouge on um bleach wipes and uh antibiotic uh what was that the hand sanitizer stuff they're getting prosecuted and right. they got their entire stocks uh, confiscated. Like, how the hell is this any different? How the hell is it, it different? It might be a good time to note this podcast is probably going to get fairly political at some point. Yes, because life uh, annoyingly does that from time to time. Uh, yeah. So, you know, buckle up. Yeah. And you compare that to like Jude Law's character who yeah, they get. Which is, is, is in real life happening right now. I mean, you look at what Alex Jones did when this whole thing started up. He. You know, and in this movie, we get some sort of justice for that. Um, that there's very much a reckoning. They at least for make Jude a. Law. They at least make a effort. Yeah, yeah. He like gets bailed um, out, and in, in real life, things aren't always so nice and neat. Yeah. And you know, they there there are some disgusting people out there who are taking advantage of this situation in reprehensible ways. And I don't know that we will see them get uh, forsythiaed by the end of this. Yeah, I wish there was a way, and I think that's like we also. There's a lot more important things to do right now, but like 
I don't know that we should forget about this because if we let this yeah. slide, that it's going to happen the next time. It's going to happen even worse. Like people are like, we oh, should certainly not. Yeah, like we're punishing people that are hoarding. We're punishing people that are uh, price gouging. We should fucking definitely prosecute the people that swore an oath to protect and defend us mm-hmm. for profiteering on that. Like there should be, there should be, and there. And I think there will be. Um, I want to talk about Jude Law's character, Alan. Why do they give Jude Law bad teeth? I, you know, I have no idea. Like, I, I think they want him to look... They don't want him to be so perfect. That's, because Jude Law's a very handsome man, and I think they just wanted him to, like, have something off and something repulsive. But I don't... that To me, that's not real life. Like, you, the, these, uh, right. these people I just talked about, Richard Burr, uh, Jeff Sprecher, uh, Kelly Loeffler... Uh, they don't look like ghouls. They look like presentable right. professional people. They smile. They have nice teeth. They have nice hair. They have nice clothes. Uh, I just want to say I'm not. I'm not saying anybody with less than perfect teeth is uh, a monster. No. I'm simply saying Jude Law looks so perfect as as a human being that it's hard to like. It, it, giving him a weird tooth sort of says everything you need to say, I guess. Yeah. About his personality in a weird way in in filmmaking right yeah i just thought i think it's that's one of the few flaws in the film is that you know because they, they obviously yeah. show this guy as like you're supposed to think he's a clown but i think he's obviously smart and resourceful he oh, yeah. is one of the classic example of a person that's very very smart very very intelligent but is wasting all of that on bad input yeah, he's uh, on, manipulating people. He's selfish. He's greedy, um, and he's pushing this forsythia cure that he's profiting personally from. And I want to compare and contrast this guy to, as you mentioned, Alex Jones. But I want to talk mm-hmm. about our president, President Trump, who has been for the last week, um, you know, hailing this uh, miracle cure, chloroquine, which, which just killed a couple people. Well, it's not even that. Like these people, like. Um, heard chlorocorine they realize oh that's something that's in our aquarium supplements that we use to treat our tropical fish i'll take that it's but they took chloroquine phosphate when mm. the cure if it is a cure is hydroxychloroquine and if you don't understand mm. the difference sodium explodes when it touches water and chlorine is an absolute poison that will fucking kill you but sodium chlorine is table salt Like, Uh this fundamental scientific misunderstanding is behind anti-vaxxers because they don't understand the difference between an amalgamated um, or stabilized form of mercury compounds versus just fucking drinking mercury. Um, They don't understand. Like, this is the classic dihydrogen monoxide. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like, oh, an inhaled teaspoon can kill you. It's fucking water. It's just water. Right. Um, But, like, these people hear Trump say that, oh, we got this miracle cure. They go to something that sounds like it. They take it, and one of them's dead, and the other's in critical care. Like, Mm -hmm. and, you know, the interview of this man's wife, the survivors, said just exactly, well, we heard President Trump talk it out, and we trust him, and there's no other drugs approved for it, so why not? Well, this is why. Um, (laughs) And this is the kind of dangerous misinformation. This film postulated would be spread on the internet through dodgy sites and unfortunately it's being spread at uh national press conferences with with our own own president um Mm -hmm. it's wild it's wild stuff man so another kind of real life counterpart here is that at one point brian cranson comes off as kind of an asshole about not rescuing mirrors because larry uh lawrence fishburne wanted to 
uh, send, I guess, a special CDC ship with the capsule that's got a like quarantine facility to rescue her, and they'd already used it on a senator. Um, yeah. There has been a little bit of debate about whether if, if cures or um, treatments or vaccines are produced, should they go to, like, first responders first? Should they go to politicians first? Um I think that's a hard – that's a lot because, like, a lot of people were on one side or the other firmly. I think that's a really hard decision because, you know, especially in a case like this where it was, like, had an R value north of four or R not value north of four and was killing one out of four people, continuity of government is really important during a crisis. Yeah. Um, I, I think that there are – I don't know. My opinion is that the first responders and healthcare workers should – absolutely get this first um when we come up with a vaccine for it because uh they're the ones who are risking their lives doing this and the more of them we can save the better off we'll all be uh and i think yes you're right there is a continuity of government that is important but those people are easier um those people can do their jobs without much human contact whereas first responders are all human contact jobs um there's really no way to say hey, we can safely do this job without being immune to the th- disease. Uh, they also show things like Elliot Gould um, is running this research hospital out in California, and he defies an order from the CDC to continue working on the virus. And uh-huh. turns out he's right. How did you feel about that? It mixed, mixed. Um, you know, he got the results, and he probably sped up the whole process of uh understanding and finding a cure for the disease but also it was a very risky thing to do Mm -hmm. and if things had gone wrong he could have created a much worse problem it reminds me of like uh the like the terrorism examples in like 24 where like jack bauer is shoving a towel down someone's esophagus and ripping their throat out Uh if he stops a literal nuclear bomb he's probably hero if he doesn't he's just a fucking outlaw you know i I think that behavior should be strongly discouraged though i don't know how strongly i want to punish it it's it's i don't know well the the way it's like so let's let's say that like uh that charge of defying a cdc order and working with biohazards would be like a two-year jail term i think that's fair because if i'm elliot gould and i'm in that position maybe and i feel like i'm really right I want to roll the dice and then like, you know, like if I if it works and I save lives, then I can what what jury is going to convict me? Number one. And number two, two years in jail is a pretty small price to pay to save millions and millions and millions of lives. Like, I I feel like that's like, yeah. However, the price you could pay is to kill uh, millions and millions of people. The discouraged people that, that don't want to go to jail. No, no, no. I mean, if, oh, if you I fail in your goal yeah. and a catastrophe happens and yeah. this virus gets out into the general population, I think he's in San Francisco or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, he, he could have been the cause of many deaths. I know one thing that we kind of debated on personally during this thing is, like, how long will it take to get a vaccine, you know, through all of its different processes of approval, through all of the different... Uh, you know, regulations and rules, because it's, you know, as, as, as you just said, it's important not to, you know, that's physician's creed, right? Do no harm. Yeah. Um, this movie depicts the, a, a single researcher injecting herself with the vaccine as kind of like clearing a lot of that red tape, apparently. And it also mm-hmm. it must be said that this virus is killing one out of four people. It's infecting uh, tens of millions of people worldwide. Like, 
the risk calculations is a lot different than what it might be with coronavirus. But have you done any additional looking in since we had that discussion last week to see like what is like the absolute fastest we could develop a vaccine if we had one and we wanted to waive like all human trials and researchers shot themselves up and went in with the monkeys and proved that. And Uh, I mean, it seems to me that uh, for something of this scope, this, uh, sort of transmissible um this deadly i i don't think you speed that up too much beyond the normal process but the 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 speed of the trials is not necessarily the problem here it's also the speed of the manufacturing and distribution of the vaccine and that in this movie is what takes so long like even though a researcher goes in finds a vaccine after 57 trials or whatever injects herself and suddenly we have the cure which I don't think is realistic in the first place, but, um, or sorry, not a cure. A vaccine is not a cure. Mm -hmm. Um, now we have a vaccine for it. They still had to go produce that vaccine. They had to have a lottery system for who would get it because there wasn't enough of it yet. That took months and months and months, right? Just to distribute the thing. It was like a 300 day, almost a year long process to distribute the vaccine. If if we based on the lottery dates that they're talking about. Right. And everything I've seen about the coronavirus says, all the experts say, look, it's going to be about a year at at best before we have a true vaccine tested and ready to go, uh, assuming everything goes right. And then how long it takes beyond that to manufacture and distribute, I don't know. The other concern uh, with a vaccine is like the, the time of, of discovery, I guess, and the trials required to test and prove that it's actually a vaccine that works and it's a vaccine that isn't going to kill more people or harm more people uh, than it actually cures, or sorry, than it actually prevents uh, sickness in. That process takes a while, and it's usually a three-round process. They do it with like a very small group, a few dozen people, uh-huh. um, to test a potential vaccine. They monitor them for about a year. Um, they give them two shots over the course of a month of this stuff, uh, and then monitor them for a year. And then uh, round two is like a few hundred people tested. Round three is is like a mass test of like typically thousands or tens of thousands of people. Um, and as you can imagine, testing that many people takes a very long time. And they do this for really good reasons. Um, <clears throat> first and foremost being to make sure that the cure isn't worse than the disease here, right? right. As as everybody's so fond of saying right now. Right. Uh, you You have to know that this vaccine isn't going to do more harm than good. And so... Testing is super important, and to rush that process risks having a solution that is worse than the problem itself. Yeah, um, because, like, you know, vaccines are safe, but they do provoke, even the ones that are well-known and tested do provoke occasional allergic reactions in people. There's some people that it doesn't work on. Like, those are things, you know, if you had a disease that's killing one out of four people, but a vaccine trial kills one out of three, well, then obviously... The cure is literally worse than the disease in that in that point. Um, yeah. They had something interesting that also modeled uh, what I thought what what I see is happening, which is they had individual states shutting down their borders and, indi- and and ordering quarantine. Something that we're seeing right now, we're at the federal government. We're not getting any kind of coordinated message or response, but in in that vacuum, about one third of our states have stepped forward with shelter or home orders or some form of quarantine, limiting non-essential business, etc. Um, 
there's this concept in America that was coined by a chief chief justice of the Supreme Court uh, back about a hundred years ago, where that states serve as laboratories of democracy. Was it Ruth Bader Ginsburg? It wasn't. It wasn't. <laughs> oh, she actually joined okay. the court a year later in like 1916. Mm. But okay. but he said this like that like that's this is a feature of America that like portion states can conduct uh, radical or novel social experiments without putting the nation itself at harm. And it feels like that's what's happening, because I also just saw this morning Nate Silver, uh, the head statistician from 538, that they just they they they're political, but then they just analyze polls and popular opinion and they make predictions and stat analysis and stuff. Uh, Early goings are that in states that are characterized as red states or conservative states, uh, the rate of infection is 31 percent. And in blue states uh, through the first few weeks, it's at 20 percent. Um. And to the extent that you can say that, like, the blue states are taking this more serious, they're doing, they're more inclined to shut down, they're they're more populated. I think that's interesting in a laboratory of democracy sense that we are something I said to my father like three weeks ago. It's like we're going to see firsthand all around the world what nations are equipped to deal with this and what nations aren't. Um, and mm-hmm. I just thought that was like you know the fact that Illinois shut down even though the country itself hadn't. That was that was really interesting and predictive. Um, what did you think? Uh, I thought the end of the movie was bizarre too. Uh, Matt Damon going through oh. his camera roll and then they tracked the, the well-known bat, the pig, the chef, the paltro vector of diseases. I mean, there's disease experts around the world always talk about how you go from bat to paltro and that's the worst. <laughs> uh, what the, uh, I, I thought that was an odd choice to end the movie in uh, with. I kind of liked it. It, because they, they never show us the inciting event, right? And it, it this whole movie is a process of discovery, like trying to track that down. Like, where did it start? How do we fight this thing? How's it spread? And so to come back at the end and say, this this sort of simplest, most unpredictable thing yeah. um, is what started all this. I, I kind of found it, I don't know, poetic's not the right word, but just very, very satisfying to sort of come back to that and see it at the end. Yeah. And that's something I think we'll get to uh, in our outline as well, is that there's this, you know, you hear a lot about these open-air wet markets in Asia, and I feel, feel like that the what people are envisioning is like people eating live bats and and whatnot uh but but it's more of the case of things like this where you just have like it's a a bat that was eating some tainted fruit uh or was sick dropped the dropping in the pig and it just happened to be a strain that could jump to that species and you know it it wasn't nothing it wasn't anything in particularly uh dirty or filthy uh or out of any kind of like first world western standards it was just this happenstance so maybe i guess it was useful for that i just thought it was a bizarre way to end the film in um do you want to talk so you want to start talking about the disease yeah because you mentioned how this is sort of you know similar in a lot of ways to covid but also uh different in many crucial ways do you want to talk about the differences or the similarities first uh i want to talk mostly about the differences if you have any similarities go for it but okay i want to talk about the differences too because i feel like that's the the thing will calm people down or the the similarities will ramp people up so let's start with i mean there are a lot of similarities right yes many 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 similarities i think the way you narrow this conversation down is start talking about the things that are different yeah and the things that are less upsetting about our current situation let's let's talk about the difference between covid19 and mev1 
Okay. Do you got one? Yeah, the R not value. All right, we'll talk about uh, it. Which I, I will admit to not fully understanding how they determine the R not value. Um, I don't know if it's based fully on that investigative uh, sort of work they do, looking at camera footage and and tracking that virus back to its sort of nexus. But uh, yeah, this this virus has an R not of four, which is compared to um, or or maybe even north of four uh, in the movie, the MEV one which is far higher, far, far greater than what we have with COVID. I yeah. think COVID is COVID-2, R2. I, I've seen numbers between, uh, I actually just wrote this down, that that uh, Empire report uh, estimated it between 1.5 and 3.5. Okay. Um, so you probably, go with the median, like 2.2. Yeah, but the like most that. common cited is 2.1 to 2.3. Um, okay. So can you explain to r not like what that means? Because there's, I think a yeah. lot of people might be like, the fuck is r not mean? So in this movie, they explain it. Um, and if you've seen it, you'll kind of understand it. But r not is essentially the number of people that an infected person will give it to uh, over the course of their illness. And so when you have an r not of 2.25 or whatever, which we're talking about with the coronavirus, it's uh, you're going to go out to public and you're going to give it to two and a half people or whatever, two and a quarter people. They're all going to go out. They're going to give it to two and a quarter people. And you sort of see how that exponentially increases. And it, and you have to understand that like an R naught of 2.25 is exponentially better also than an R naught of four. Yeah. Because an R naught of four is extreme. Yes. Um, and, and, and you can see that if you just do like some back of the napkin calculations, like, okay, say we have an R naught of two um, and three steps on from one person getting it, you're at like eight, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, eight people have it. If you do that same calculation, three steps on from an r naught of four you're like 256 Mm -hmm. so like you can see how this compounds with with the r naught value going up the the best illustration i had of exponential growth um i gave this on lunch last week but like someone said that like if you go out go to your front door right now and you take an average step like a three foot step and then every step from here on out you will double your stride it's impossible but imagine you could right uh and you ask an average person like okay after 30 steps where would you be and a lot of people like you know i'm in cincinnati so let's say i started stepping west the average person might say i'm at the ohio state border or i'm at the rocky mountains or extreme i'm in africa i'm in africa it's it's actually that 30th step you would take like 23 trips around the world um it gets right. it gets out of hand and the r not value at zero is not spreading at all if it's under one it's decreasing and anything over two triggers that exponential growth right. and it gets worse and worse the higher it goes uh some things like measles for example have an r value r not value 14 it's it's ridiculous how fast they spread wow and this is why fucking vaccines for that are very very important um yes. so R not some people think the R not is like a is like a some kind of uh, uh, value that the virus itself has, and it does contribute. Like um, so, for example, uh, Ebola has a very low R not because it can only spread through direct human to human contact with body fluids. So if you're dealing with a dead body, if you're dealing with uh, you know d- d- treating someone that's ill, you're touching their body. Uh, but if you stay three feet away from an Ebola person, it's not going to uh, it's not going to spread very fast. Also, Ebola is symptomatic almost as soon as you get it. 
this very yeah. short incubation period. Uh, also, Ebola, the virus is very, very fragile. Once it gets outside of the confines of a human body, uh, moisture, oxygen, sunlight, all are like this thing. It's like a fucking vampire. Uh, it just instantly disintegrates this thing. Um, so it's got a very low R value, even though its mortality is very, very high. It's like uh, somewhere between 40 and 60%. If you catch Ebola, you got a 50-50 chance of whether you're going to beat it or not. Um, but it's not intrinsic to the disease because... Um, so let's say that Corona has an R naught of 2.5 uh, because... The things that are really bad about Corona is you have a very long incubation time where you're infectious, but you're not showing symptoms. And there's not a lot of visible like like this MEV one. People's faces were flushed. They had white shit coming around. They were foaming at the mouth Um, and they were dead within, you know, 12, 12 to 24 hours of contracting it. Whereas Corona, if it really takes a hold of you, you're sick for weeks, and if you go to a hospital, you're going to be on a ventilator for weeks, and if you recover, it's going yeah. to take a much, much longer time. So, uh, also, it seems like the coronavirus is much hardier. It can survive on like a steel surface for up to three days, um, mm-hmm. again, in optimal conditions, um, and it's it can spread invisibly, uh, so that's why it's, it's uh, tougher. But it's also different in that its death rate, uh, as far as we can tell, is somewhere around one percent if you have medical care, and that shoots up to f- three, two, three, f- up to five percent if the hospitals start to get overrun and people have to make decisions about who gets ventilators. Because if right. you get this and it gets in your lungs, um, the only way you survive is f- to be mechanically ventilated until your body can clear it, and that can mm-hmm. take a week or two. So um, if this was like as as easily spread as Corona and was as as lethal as Ebola, you wouldn't have to tell people to stay home. People would be barricading themselves in their houses. Nurses and doctors would flee their hospitals like that's you know, you would have a full on like like the whole world would stop working until this thing burnt itself out naturally. Um, And that I think this was interesting is MEV one was kind of like halfway between Corona and Ebola. It's got the spread of Corona, and it's got like half the lethality of Ebola. So people took it very, very, very serious. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, like in this film, in twelve days, eight million people are infected. That seems very unrealistic to me because if you compare that to Corona, I don't think we've even had a million people worldwide infected, have we? Yeah, um, and they're they're kind of like trying to get their hands around that through the whole movie um, mm-hmm. to or get their heads around it to understand okay what what are we dealing with here and I think that's where the R not value really shoots through the roof because initially right. they diagnosed it as like this is an R not of two um, and we we know we're dealing with an exponential sort of runaway effect but eventually by the end of the movie they've upgraded it to an R well, plus the, the the movie or the the virus uh, mutated I think yeah. the, increasing its spreadability now that's another piece of because a lot of people have played play, the game Plague Inc., where you have a virus and you try to kill everybody in the world. And when viruses mutate in that game, everyone that's infected in the virus gets the same mutation. All right? That's not how real life works. Like, if we have COVID-19 and we had a COVID-19B, and let's say it's our value is twice as high because now it can spread through the air and not just on fomites and direct person-to-person contact. Uh it's not like everyone in the world with COVID would now suddenly get upgraded to that. That would be a separate strain that would start with a single patient. You'd have, you know, patient zero, and it would have to spread throughout the ecosystem just like COVID did in the first place. So, like, if this thing mutated and became more lethal or higher to spread, we still have the opportunity to contain that 
from day one, just like we had the opportunity to convey to contain coronavirus from day one. And hopefully mm-hmm. we take it more seriously, especially if it mutated to get worse. And hopefully we'd be more prepared for it as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think all of these reasons kind of together, um, also like this uh, coronavirus, it seems like, um, it only attacks, it, it seems like a preferentially attacks the, the older and the immunocompromised, um, it attacks the lungs. It doesn't this, whereas the MEV1 was like a combination hemorrhagic fever where your brain actually turned to soup and it was killing your lungs. Yeah. Um, and, and as a combination of things, it doesn't seem like coronavirus will ever be as bad as what happens in this movie with MEV, where you have mass graves. Yeah. Um, but we see places in Italy where they have hospitals with just rooms full of coffins waiting to be cremated and people can't say goodbye because they're under quarantine and you can't have funerals. Yeah. And I read a no. lot of interviews of people where that's just a really tough thing to deal with. I I I, I was going to say I can imagine, but I don't know that I can. Um, right. I've never seen anything like that, but um the, the yeah i mean you we're gonna see a lot of people dead um and really whether or not we see sort of like mass graves and um the kind of apocalyptic stuff that we're dealing with in this film depends on our response to this and how quickly we can ramp up our healthcare systems and our infrastructure to deal with the influx of sick and dying people that we know is coming right um it doesn't seem like we're doing much in that regard currently but we, I, I don't know we'll we'll get there as as the as a world certainly a global population will get there yeah i was if you do some quick um back in the envelope calculations and you go with um you know an r value of like two and you go with like kind of what we're doing now which is not much like n- some states doing, I think, the bare minimum that you should do, but there's two-thirds of states not doing anything. Um, a lot of experts are saying that it's not unlike, it's not unrealistic to assume that 50% of the population will get this. And if you can go with a conservative death rate, that's 1.6 million people dead in the United States. Mm-hmm. And Which we're just not equipped to deal with. No, and it's 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 also uh, you're talking forty, fifty million dead across the world, which is easily Spanish influenza numbers. Um, yeah, it's World War Two numbers. It's th- and the, the the problem with that is that like if that happens, that spike happens all at once, then those numbers become like three, four, five percent. Now you're looking at eight to ten million Americans dead. Yeah. That's where you might start seeing mass graves mass crematorium stuff like that because you just you're not going to be able to deal with the influx on either the input on the hospital side which is why the death rate will shoot up nor on the putting people in the ground or or getting them disposed of and in other ways um that's why it's, it's really important to like if you we like i said we spread the virus the virus does not if if a if a person a healthy person Bear, like, stays home and doesn't have an, a contact with another person to our value of Corona for them is zero. Yeah. And it also, it's also a falsehood that everyone has to do the smart thing for the R value to plummet. Um, mm-hmm. 538 posted a poll where something like 76% of Americans are saying they are isolating. They are canceling plans. Um, it should be higher, but that itself will make the, uh, the R factor go down. Uh, and if we can get under one, that means we'll have a steadily decreasing caseload. Um, and if we can keep it under two, that means it won't be spreading at a, at a, a exponential rate, which is very important. Uh, yeah. And the, the more we can do on that front, the faster that'll happen. We'll be right back after the short break. 
So I want to talk about some similarities between Corona and MEV1 um, because the one thing I think that seemed to be a factor in MEV1 is it, it it broke out during Thanksgiving in the United States, during the holiday season when people right. are traveling all over the country and COVID-19 uh, suffered its uh, its initial outbreak in the lead up and during the Chinese New Year where you yeah. had similar concerns. And I... What do you think the United States would do? Because it's it's actually interesting in, in research. I didn't know this two weeks ago, but the the so called Spanish flu uh, they think started in an army stockyard in Kansas. That's the original infection vector. Hmm. Um, okay, and it's it was called the Spanish flu because Spain was a neutral country in World War One, and they were one of the only countries that were actively producing statistics about how many people were sick, how many people were oh. dying. So when, every time you read something in a paper, it was Spanish doctors say Spanish victims, Spanish death toll, and so it became known as the Spanish flu. Right? Do you think if something like coronavirus was identified in the United States in, in early to mid October, with the importance that black friday has in our economy do you think that the american government the american corporations the american people would be johnny on the spot or would there be a whole bunch of you can't shut it's thanksgiving people are gonna see Mm -hmm. it's christmas it's this i mean we're still doing that we're still doing that we're talking about opening this fucking economy back up on easter that's ridiculous yeah Oh, and I'm just this thing is in no way under control and every doctor on the planet is saying it right so it's like to me like there's some deflection about like how bad the Chinese uh, reaction to this how they suppressed information I have zero confidence that if that if the outbreak was in our country that we would have handled it significantly better I mean from from what I understand they've done some pretty admirable things too I mean you know aside from squashing this thing flattening the curve they have also uh, back in January, they were the ones to sequence the DNA of this thing and release that for public uh, right. use. Like, right. they've done some really important things also. So, yeah, I mean, like, I think the Chinese government, the way they handled it can be criticized as all. I mean, Absolutely. hopefully at the end of all this, we can do a 360 degree analysis and, and own up to all of our sins and work together as a global community that we are. We pretend we're not, but we are. Uh, and and try to make sure that nothing like this happens again. I mean, it's impossible to pretend again uh, now that this has happened, that we are not a global community. I mean, look at the interconnected nature of everything. It, it's impossible to ignore at this point, and if you do so, you're just willfully ignorant. Yeah. Well, we have a lot of willful ignorance. I thought that's another similarity between Corona and MEV1 is that you looked at the media covering it, they had the uh, head doctor of the CDC on a on a TV show debating this Jude Law conspiracy theory character, and yeah. I see this like this both sides. Uh, no respect for science, um, only concerned with like profit and and, and economic um, concerns. Uh, gotcha moments. Like I yeah. see this a lot, and you see it with um, I don't know. Some of these press conferences we see at the federal government are just bizarre to me, where they're like celebrations of corporations and what they're doing, mm-hmm. and it's telling people that it's not that big a deal, and the cure is just around the corner, and you know, not listening to to doctors and and, and experts. And uh, yeah, this this movie is prescient. It's it's amazing mm-hmm. how closely this movie tracks with our real life response to this. Right. Uh, I, I it's of course a much worse disease in the movie, but. Uh, yeah, the response is almost identical. 
There's a couple, a couple other um, similarities that I think are kind of unhelpful or hypocritical, kind of uh, in the vein of the, the Chinese New Year thing. Um, you hear a lot about these open-air wet markets. Uh, and it reminds me a lot during the Ebola uh, outbreak. Everyone has uh, worked themselves up about, like, bushmeat and bushmeat mm-hmm. markets. Like, these like these highly exotic, like, you, you get in, these mi- uh, in your mind... Uh, like the uh, the dinner scene in Temple of Doom, where they're just open up monkey brains and fucking eating live eels and shit. Um, and I actually agree with some of the criticism. It seems like some countries could do better to maintain health uh, and sanitary standards in some of these 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 wet markets. But wet markets happen in Asia. Happen in Asia. They happen in India. They happen in Europe. Uh, Cincinnati here, Finley Market is a wet market. People have raw meat that they are slinging in a confined closed place and i find it really interesting that people look down at their noses at countries that you know are having these these open air wet markets when scientists will say one of the big health risks in the world is our western style factory farming where we cram thousands of pigs and hundreds of thousands of chickens together in damp dark humid filthy conditions and these farmers because you can't, that's not natural and sustainable. Like, you would lose yeah. entire crops to disease because, of course, you would. It's a fucking living Petri dish. But they soak everything in antibiotics, including antibiotics of last resort. Like, these are the last antibiotics we have to stop some of these bugs. And they're spraying on pigs and chickens to increase the productivity. Any scientist would say that is if you, if you, if you predict a global outbreak – it's going to come from factory farming. It's going to come from one of these open air, uh, open air wet markets. Why can we judge a entire community, an entire civilization, an entire uh, culture of people for one thing, but yet turn a blind eye to what we're doing uh, in our own country? Yeah, and uh, when you compound that with um, our other eating habits, such as extraordinarily processed foods, yes, um, that are giving us diabetes and heart disease at at just exorbitant rates, never seen in the world. Yeah. Uh, then you have set up the perfect scenario for which, uh, into which to introduce a virus that's going to kill as many people as possible. Yeah, and also like because one look- of the complicating factors on this thing is diabetes uh-huh. uh, on COVID nineteen. Yeah. So like, uh, you, you are far more likely, and it's why I think we're seeing so many people start to die in this country because we have a really poor food system here mm-hmm. um, that is causing us to be sickly in the first place just in terms and of nutrition baseline nutrition and health yeah right and so when something like this hits us our immune systems aren't prepared to deal with it they're they're not up to the standard yeah the other thing i think is really hypocritical is people are saying oh the chinese government they try to deny this stuff they try to minimize it and this is all true but you realize we live in a country where it's illegal to go into one of these facilities and film the conditions that these pigs and chickens are into. It's illegal to study it as an epidemiologist. Mm-hmm. Like these, these, um, these industry have lobbied for laws to make it to where these are black boxes. They're like, well, you know, uh, animals go in and meat comes out and what happens inside them is none of your fucking business. And like, how the hell can you criticize a government uh, for, for trying to keep information from people, keep information from the global community when we're letting this happen in, in the United States. And again, I'm not, I'm not a vegetarian. I'm not a vegan. Uh, I just, I'm a person that fucking hates hypocrisy Mm -hmm. and I am so sick to death of hearing what I think is like 
like like it, it it's definitely got some kind of like racist culturalist tones that we you know are like oh it's all about this bush meat it's all about this wet market and we it's like the bible says you know pick out the rafter in your own eye before you go picking out straws in your neighbors maybe we should keep our side of the street clean maybe then we could speak from a moral high ground to the rest of the world for once but right now we're not doing that um the other one i thought was interesting is this movie uh, makes a point that like there's this conspiracy theory about the Americans working in secret with the World Health Organization to develop a vaccine exclusively for Americans. Yeah. And it was widely reported from credible sources that our federal government did, in fact, make overtures to companies in Germany to to secure an American-only vaccine for the virus. I'm actually surprised that that story went away as fast as it did. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to decide how i feel about this how egregious is this because like it is it is the interest of every government to protect its people um true and so if you have an extraordinary a vanishingly small number of vaccines even after you get the vaccine uh tested and everything and you have a vanishingly small number of course you're going to give those to your people first absolutely yeah um it it would almost be more shocking to me that a German company would sell us anything, um, would say, yes, you can have this for any amount of money, because they also have that same responsibility to their people. This is where we still have that fuzz. Like, we are, a, like I mentioned before, like, we are a global community, but we deny it. Like, we put these false yeah. borders. This is something, like, many astronauts have remarked that, like, when you look at the planet as a whole, there are no borders. But we pretend, we, we artificially carve things up, and we treat, like, uh, I think you're right. In our current system, uh, the American government has a responsibility to the American people first and foremost, uh, especially since there's so many radical forms of different governments at very dif- different levels of legitimacy, different levels yeah. of preparation, uh, different levels of, of being able to contribute to the solution or become part of the problem. But I do also hope I have a dream that probably not in my lifetime, but maybe within a, several generations, we can get to the point where that would seem a very antiquated and provincial look that like eight a class of people that live in a particular patch of dirt are more important and more deserving of a cure than any other person on the planet. We're not yeah, there I, yet. I mean, I totally agree with you. Um, we, we should not view any, any person or, or group of people as more important than another, but like at some point there becomes a logistical reality, right? Like we only have so many of these who yeah. gets them. Yeah. Um, and, and honestly, like I, I would say, probably the best use of a vaccine once we get it is to distribute it worldwide to the healthcare workers right uh first first and foremost because that's going to do the most good for everyone yeah i I don't think that's how it's going to go i think if america gets a vaccine first they'll give it to their people first Mm -hmm. um but we'll see what else do we want to talk about i feel like that's most of the issues that i wanted to talk about um with corona and mev1 and the movie itself I guess the thing I want to end with is there's a lot of talk about um, opening this thing up in, uh, on Easter. And I don't think that's going to happen because the thing about Corona, since it has such a long incubation and infectious period, is that assuming the United States shut everything down right now and there was like a draconian like Chinese-style quarantine, mm. we would expect, just like we saw in China, just like we saw in Italy, just like we've seen in various countries around the world – that the number of cases still would not peak until 14 days later. Right. So you're talking about, 
uh, we see how things are going now, and we're doing very few things to actually spread that value. You're talking about opening up the economy at a time where this problem is going to be, in all likelihood, 10 times worse. Yeah. And you're going to start seeing the 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 states that feel like they're safe, um, you know, the the more, less populous, the less the more sparsely populated countries. Uh, you're going to see them, or I'm not not country states. You're going to start start seeing it get very real with them, mm-hmm. and I just don't know. Like you've got these people arguing that a depression is not worth. Uh, saving three million lives for example yeah and i guess i just don't see the case that there's anything we can do to avoid a financial meltdown at this point like this is a given if you let everyone go out and get sick you overwhelm the hospitals you're going to kill a million people you're going to kill millions of people and you're going to suffer extreme economic uh distress and you or you could suffer extreme economic distress and save millions of people and it seems obvious to me what this what the solution is to that yeah i mean it's but. completely foolish to think okay we can just tell everybody the economy's on again um yeah on easter and yet i can look at the stats and i can see that 10 times the people have died of this thing and it's still going up yeah. uh and that i'm gonna walk outside of my house and i'm gonna go get a cheeseburger at mcdonald's yeah it's not gonna happen and it, yeah. i'm i don't think i'm an exception in this case i think there are many right. many people who are just going to stay the fuck home stay the fuck out of populated areas regardless of what you tell them until they yeah. see these stats under control. Yeah, and if you you know if you're one of those that make the argument that one to three percent of people dying is acceptable, I would like for you to inventory a hundred people that you know, that you care for, and pick three to die. Yeah. Like how do you do that calculus? And the fact is and that that's the thing is like if you go this route, many more people than that are going to die, I'm convinced. Because yeah. we just don't have the the surge capacity to, de- to to handle all these people it's going to be exactly what happens in Italy where where doctors start making decisions based on who lives and who dies mm. um so i hope that and there are some initial signs that you know maybe we're going to get that that the, they've got like you know they pass this huge 2 trillion dollar uh package to help people that are losing their jobs and that they're suffering economic distress uh we have the money, we have the capability to take care of everybody, and if we do, and if we beat this thing, then the economy will be primed to be roaring back. It'll be like a backdraft situation where yeah. you've got an economy that was otherwise healthy, uh, that has been starved of production, that people have been putting off, you know, buying new cars, uh, upgrading their houses, uh, consumer purchases, spending money on restaurants and stuff. There's going to be like, 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 as soon as we beat this thing, it'll be oxygen hitting that fire and we'll come roaring back. Mm-hmm. But, like, it's whether we do that and lose 100 million people around the world or not. Yeah. Because uh, there's no there's no scenario in which... Because I think you're right. If they do relax everything in Easter, I know I'm not going to. No. I'm in a position. And, and like, anyone... I think most people, once they see this thing really set in and once... I don't know how many people are watching, like, what an Italian hospital in northern Italy looks like now. It's fucking ghastly. Yeah. And it's we're almost there in New York right now. We are. When that shit starts happening in countries across America, and that is on uh, uh, cable news 24-7, it's on your YouTube channels and shit, it's going to be a lot harder to be a 65-year-old senator saying, I die to save the economy for my grandkids it's going to be a lot harder when people the reality of people dying alone gasping for air sets in yeah so anyway uh contagion 
Mm-hmm. Worst case scenario, we're not staring down one out of five people with this dying, but we're it's it's weird we're in this Goldilocks zone, kind of like you know how the Earth is in a perfect spot. It's not too hot, not too cold. Yeah. Like this thing spreads fast enough, but is just not lethal enough that it's a giant problem. But people can kind of like eh, probability it away. And right, like I said, if this thing was as lethal as Ebola, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Uh, and if it if it spread like Ebola, we wouldn't have, be having this conversation. But we're we're right there in the Goldilocks zone, which is good for the virus, bad for us. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> we're t- we're we're taking this seriously. We hope everybody in our community does too, and we do our part to to make this disruption as short as we can and save as many people's lives. Um, yeah, and I think that's important. Hopefully, when we get on the other side of this, we can start to make some structural changes to our society that will better equip us for the next round of this, because there will be a next round. Um, it's almost inevitable. We just need yeah. to be prepared for that. This is something you guys, you and I have talked about, like in lunches and this other kind of kind of free range of podcast, the way that there's a lot of doctors that talk like we might look back at the 20th century as this golden age of medicine, where he essentially cured all diseases because more and more we got bugs that are antibiotic resistant and we are out of antibiotics like to beat them. We have to invent new antibiotics and that's very hard and we're going to have to there's there's some promising work in like phage therapy where you can actually train your body to destroy these bugs. But there might be a gap of 20, 30, 40 years where stuff that we used to solve easily is going to start killing people again. And what do we do? What kind of medical framework? What kind of healthcare framework? What kind of economic framework do we have? If, you know, a lot of scientists are saying that, like, this is permafrost freezes, we're going to unleash virus and bacteria that the world hasn't seen for two, three hundred thousand years. Mm. Uh, what is our plan to to be able to isolate, identify and attack those? Yeah, we, this is a good. This is that Goldilocks might be a good in in in, in terms of a wake up call that it's not strong enough to like just kick the shit out of us, but it's also too serious to ignore. Um, unlike things like Ebola and SARS and some of these other virus scares that we've had before that didn't you know kind of came yeah. and went and and were contained not because they were nothing but because very hardworking people behind the scenes. Uh, did the stuff that you see in this movie to prevent them from becoming a bigger problem. And I think that's key. Like, we need to understand in this country that there are some experts you need to listen to. Um, and and science science has given you everything that's good in your life. Everything. Um, if you enjoy texting with your friends, science gave you that. Like, if, yeah. if you enjoy driving your car down the street, um, uh, joyriding, Science gave you that. Let's get back on board the science train and let's understand that these scientists are not somehow our enemies or greedy and out there to make a whole bunch of money off their work. They are simply asking questions and trying to find answers. And when they find those answers, we should listen to them. Yeah. If you're a betting man over the last several centuries, and you, if you bet on science and doctors and medicine, you would win 99 out of 100 times. Right. Um because it's just not very often, especially the further we get in stream of time, that like uh, an expert consensus, a scientific consensus is going to be wholly overturned. Yeah. Um, And I think we've lost sight of that, that like science has become some kind of optional thing or some kind of litmus test for your beliefs uh, and need to lose that because it's going to kill people. Yeah. All right. Well, that's our review of Contagion and uh, the coronavirus. 
Uh, I give Contagion 10 out of 10. I give Coronavirus negative 3 out of 10. Yeah. It's the fucking worst. Uh, Speaking of victims of the coronavirus, one of the victims is the James Bond franchise. We were really, really hyped to see No Time to Die. It was set to come out very, very soon. But because of this virus panic and the fact that... uh, I shouldn't say panic. The warranted fear of this virus has caused uh, mass gatherings to be banned and most uh, movie theaters are closed down. Uh, It's been pushed out past Turkey Day, Mm -hmm. as Contagion would put it. Uh, But we're still kind of jonesing for some James Bond. We're jamesing for some Bond. And we noticed that Netflix has Goldeneye, the crown jewel in the Brosnan uh, crown, I guess. I think so. The Bond collection. Uh, The first, the best one. Uh, Everyone probably that listens to this podcast has access to Netflix, or at least most of them. Uh, Let's all watch Goldeneye and celebrate uh, this pretty good, pretty schlocky very suave and sophisticated James Bond. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be talking about that next week on next Thursday, Goldeneye. So, so prep with it if you if you want. And uh, we'll be back next week to talk about that and hopefully get ready for No Time to Die. Because, man, I... <sighs> no Time to Die is the first movie got pushed back. I'm like, ooh, that, that hurts. Yeah. I'm so hyped. Like, you know, uh, Corey Fukunaga directing, Phoebe Waller-Bridge writing, uh, Remy Malik in his giant eyes starring... It's it's got a lot of good stuff. So we'll be back next week for Goldeneye. Hope you enjoyed our talk about contagion slash coronavirus. Until next week, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. Have a good one. <laughs>